Hello and welcome to the President's Podcast brought to you by Get Football, your home of European football in English. In this extraordinary series, we sit down with European football's power brokers to discuss their journeys into the game and the future of the sport that we love. We're delighted to be joined today by IS Monaco's Vice President and CEO, Oleg Petrov. Oleg arrived at IS Monaco in February 2019 following the departure of Vadim Vasiliev in what is his first experience in professional football. A Harvard Business School alumnus, where he studied economics, Petrov has a myriad of experiences in Russian and Belarusian business contexts, including as director for sales and logistics at the Belarusian Potash Company and as the managing director of Urakali Trading. Oleg, welcome to the President's Podcast. Thank you, Christian. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Oleg. So for those out there who might not know or be as familiar with either the work that Monaco are doing or yourself, just introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, of course, with pleasure. Well, uh, I work uh, in the function of the CEO of AS Monaco for uh, more than one and a half years, so I'm pretty new to football. And I've been to various businesses, as you've mentioned before, and uh, live well in many countries as well, in Africa, in Europe, in the United States, traveled all across the world, how to say witness the change, well, the fall of the Soviet Union in a way, the changing landscape of the modern world. So yeah, I saw many, how to say, different things in my life before, before I arrived to, to this position. Uh, yeah, so I do want to believe that I will be able to use all my experience and uh, qualities uh, for the, to, the be- to the benefits of the football club. Does football rank up there as some of the craziest business uh, activities that, that you've been involved in? I would say so. I would say so. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very unusual environment in a way and unknown to many people, even to many football fans who don't work in this industry. So it's, it's a very passionate game with a lot of strategy and tactics behind with a lot of smart things which yeah. people, of course, believe in, but which are difficult to implement and invent and to be on top of. So it's indeed a very, very unique industry. So when you were much younger, was football that was something that was on your radar or has football really come into your life at a later point as a passion first before you obviously ended up in the industry? Well, as a passion, it was always there. It was always there. Football was a very popular game in the former USSR, and it was a street game uh, where, I mean, in which all kids played. So it was hockey in the winter and football during the summertime, and it was a street game. And all of us played that game all day long, uh, through all our summer holidays. And uh, it was a passion, and uh, I played football myself. Uh, well, I played for a short period of time in a football club in Ufa, in the position of goalkeeper, but I played, uh, well, I did not happen to be a professional football player, but uh, the name of football was very high in those days in our country. For sure. Uh, sadly, not uh, gracing the European stage as a goalkeeper, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure sometimes you, you look at Benjamin Leconte and you say, yeah, probably fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a difficult job as well. It's a difficult job. Yeah, and, and I think on the pitch, one of the most psychologically taxing ones as well, not just in terms of the physical and technical characteristics you need, right? Oh, yes, exactly, exactly. I wanted to excel in this job as well, and uh, in the end, well, uh, my coach came to me and basically recommended for me to, how to say, to to look for maybe another position or to change, and I was, how to say, emotionally impacted by this. Yeah. And it was a smart decision, you know, then I, later on, already when I joined Monaco Football Club, it was a smart decision, basically. The football needs the best performers, and why lose time? Then why why to keep, let's say, a person who may not later become whatever they go keep on the national team and at the same time you miss school and then you miss football and then everybody loses. So yeah. this direct approach, a bit hard line, maybe cruel at the time for the kid, but in, in the end it was, it was exactly what, what I needed. And I think this is one of the good things which should continue in football most likely. 
For sure. Yeah, as you referenced today, you know, especially at youth level, football is a brutal industry, but better to know early that it wasn't going to be possible and be able to forge a different type of career. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Was there a particular player, Oleg, when you were playing who you looked up to, someone who you really first saw passionately in football? Well, in those days, uh, well, uh, as a goalkeeper, of course, there was a famous goalkeeper in Russia, Yashin, who I loved. Yeah. In those days, uh, the, the stars of the global football have been standing out. And uh, when I was a kid, and uh, all these big names like Pele and others, and later in the 80s, when I already was in the Institute, uh, of course, uh, Maradona and uh, the other players as well. So Russia was very... In terms of football stars, uh, it was it was possible to watch the World Championships, and uh, it was a, a remarkable thing to see how other nations played. It was a big discovery. Sure. What was the nature of your relationship with Dmitry Rybolovlev that led you to becoming involved in Ice Monaco? Because, as you said, new to football and very much not an individual that the kind of world of European football was aware of before your appointment about eighteen months ago. Well, I, I met Dimitri in 2001 and I started working for one of his companies, Eurokali, the big mining, mining group in Russia. Yeah. And uh, well, I progressed over, over the years, uh, over the years in that business. And I saw Dimitri's passion for football for many years since he, well, since he bought Monaco Football Club in particular, I saw how passionate he was and I came to several games myself before before I joined him. Of course, I witnessed the success. I saw, could share a bit of a happiness in 2017 when they won the championship title. Yeah. And I talked to Dimitri, of course, in between, and he shared some experience with me, and I saw how passionate about, about the game he was. Well, at the same time, I continued, I continued my own journey after he left the business, and uh, in the end, uh, and then in 2019, 2019, he called me and said, well, I, saw, I saw that the performance of the club was struggling a bit, uh, quite, quite a bit, but well, I know, I know that it, it is a strong club. It is a very strong person and the president, and I was sure that they would be able to fix, to fix the things at the time. Mm. Then he called me and proposed this, uh, this challenging position to come and basically join him for football. And uh, he believed I would be able to manage this based on some qualities, as he believed, which I possess. And uh, I did not think a lot. It's a business which also giving all its complexity and human nature, which I like. And yeah. then basically I said, okay, Mr. President, I will join, I will join with pleasure. And uh, yeah, then I, then I became the member of the team. He must trust you a lot because it is a really rare thing to see someone come completely out of football. Um, it, it must have been a very special relationship. And you, you mentioned that he identified some skills that you had that he thought would be really helpful in terms of getting the club out of what was certainly the worst position it had been in since he bought it at the beginning of the last decade, other than obviously initially being in Ligue 2. What were those skills, Oleg? Tell us a little bit. The skills that you have found now being in football for 18 months that have been most transferable from your previous business life. Of course, uh, I do believe that uh, Dimitri was right in making this choice, though watching at how competitive football is and uh, how demanding the job is, I really want to believe that I will still be able to Proved several times that the choice was right. Yeah. Well, uh, we went. My relationship with the president was purely business, and uh, well, over the years we went through different uh, complex business situations, and uh, we made. Uh, he made a, one of the best IPOs in Russia, and I was instrumental for this. I was the chief negotiator for many markets in many countries, including India and China. So it was a big. Big operations requiring a lot of, uh, how to say, day-to-day -day stress, many hours of work, big dedication. And uh, regarding the skills, Dimitri believed that, uh, and I share this, that uh, human business, basically, I am good at that, meaning that 
dealing with people, finding good people, establishing trust, building groups, putting things, putting people together, putting people together who are motivated and able to achieve the goal, unite them over one big ambitious target, yeah. seeing uh, well through how to say things and seeing through people, discovering how to say who is who in a way, being patient, yeah, because uh, I believe that these things I basically can do at my level and uh, I would say that helps me in my current business because indeed football happened to be a human business, a lot of, well, a lot of human sides, yeah, as you know, and players and coach and uh, agents and presidents of clubs. It's very much focused on, on a person and basically including the fans. So we have to be very, and that's what I like. I like dealing with people. I like, I like people and basically something which I do quite okay to my belief. Well, managing skills, I believe uh, Dimitri also saw some ability for me to manage, to manage groups, to build up the structure, to be, to be disciplined enough to follow what has been agreed. And uh, I believe these are uh, the most important uh, qualities which the president at that time discovered in me. I do want to believe that's how to say I correspond to those expectations. And uh, sure. yeah, so far, so far, I, I can say, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's important to possess these qualities. Of course, of course, not to be distracted, not to be carried away because uh, we, we are not at the position when we can enjoy success so far. But of course, I can imagine that with a lot of success, a lot of spotlight, maybe a person can be distracted and uh, kind of drowned in glory and maybe a bit, uh, yeah. a bit not focused. And this is, uh, that's, I can say, this is definitely not my story. I'm, I am a simple person and I'm not seeking this in my life. Fantastic. How do you deal with the intangibles or like that kind of beautiful but frightening intangible that is football? Because on the business side, you can plan meticulously and your goal and stated aim is ultimately comes down to a PL account <laughs> at the end of a year. Whereas on the football side, you have, you can put in the best strategy, you can put in unbelievable amounts of work to line up everything that everybody around you, who you brought in, says you need to do in order to achieve success. But at the end of it, it comes down to a bunch of 90 minute matches where really anything can happen. How do you wrestle with that? Is that exciting or a bit frightening? It was, it was frightening. Uh, I would say now it's uh, becoming, I would say, exciting. Uh, it, I, do, I do believe in this. I, I do believe that, uh, that one can really excel. Uh, maybe not, it's, you cannot guarantee, you cannot guarantee, one cannot guarantee the top. Yeah. But I think that one can guarantee a good progress. And then whether you're the first or the second, maybe the third, I don't refer to Monaco in this case, but it's a matter of luck as well. But uh, getting to the top is a result of big, big complex work of many, of many divisions of the football club from top to bottom of all services, of all people involved. And that's something which I like, and this is something which I want to test. Uh, well, I believe this is a long-term, long-term game, long-term success story, yeah. and being uh, structured and uh, and determined is very important. And as far as I understand, uh, one of the beauties of football as well is that giving big geography and uh, different characteristics, national and cultural, it's difficult for the clubs to be to be persistent with this. So there will always be uh, stories of changes of different stars who influence here and there. So it will end, it will in the end give a lot of color to this game. But I believe in the, in working for the success and basically in being able to, to come to the success. Sure, what's been the thing in football that has most surprised you? Is it perhaps the sometimes ridiculous nature of how the horse trading around agents works in 2020? Well, a couple of things, of course. Uh, well, agents uh, was a new, in a way, uh, a new areas for me. Yeah. And their strength, their role and the power, they are remarkable. I agree, but they, they're part of, the, part of the ecosystem, so to say. Mm -hmm. But the world is changing as well. I believe that's, uh, yeah, uh, I think that's the football is becoming more 
corporation-wise as well, uh, incorporated, so to say. Sure. Uh, I think that, as I explained, the complexity of success was a big discovery for me. And uh, of course, the element of luck, the element of luck, which you also touch when you do your best, when you run and you are whatever you lead, and then you hit the, how to say, yeah, the ball and uh, all of a sudden you lose. So complexity of the game and coming to the success was a big discovery for me. And also, by the way, in a way, it's a people. It's a people's game um, in terms of when you are one of the crowd, when you are a football supporter, how to say, in, in the stadium, and you are you see crowds. Okay, you you, you understand these are football fans. But yeah. today, now when I work in football in football myself, sometimes I meet people who are so diverse and so opposite in their in their education, in their cultures. Yeah, one can be. One can be a very successful businessman uh, from England, for instance, or from uh, from France, and uh, this person can be can lead his own life, and he is so passionate about football, like like someone who is uh, who is driving the truck and mm -hmm. goes to the stadium every day, and then uh, I run into people in the plane or from one background to people in the street, and then indeed. It's the game which unites so diverse people from so many cultures. And sometimes you don't believe that this financial analyst or this investment banker or this a person from the street can be so much in the football. And I think this is indeed the unique feature uh, of this uh, of this sport. Yeah, and I think certainly in a quite divisive year or so and a very difficult year or so, not being able to have fans in the stadiums has obviously been upsetting, but that uniting factor of football remains, right? Even if it's just all in our thoughts in our respective <laughs> homes, I totally agree with you. There's a magic about that that must be also quite motivating. Oh, definitely, yes. Uh, definitely, yes. So the, uh, it's a pity that we cannot, uh, we cannot attract supporters at the stadium for the time being, uh, but uh, we do, we do have, uh, I do see that there is a lot of support. There is, there is still the solid fan base. There is a solid, uh, how to say, close fan base. And yeah, and, yeah, and people supporting the clubs. Uh, so the game, uh, the supporters are there. You, you mentioned, Oleg, that you feel like the way in which maybe agency and agents are working in the modern game is changing and there's more direct cooperation between clubs. Is this because you think also it marries with the rise of a much more data-driven kind of analytics-driven approach to the point where a club is no longer talking to one agent about who should I sign this summer, but much more building their own in-house strategies? Well, definitely, yes. Definitely, yes. Uh, I see that the power of analytics is, is amazing and I see that this area is getting more solid and uh, well many i think that's i think that's the talents are really being followed quite closely all over the world from the very young age and yeah. being identified and yes uh, i think that's the role or ability of someone to come and say hey, okay i have this player good good for your team and it costs like this i think that's uh, these times are uh, a changing, I would say. I think that's also it goes along with the with the specifics of each country and, and of each league. But in general, I think that's coming to top performers and top clubs who rely on data. That's definitely the case. Is that why you were looking to hire a sporting director this summer that would have a very important role in the club? And is that ultimately why you ended up deciding to hire Paul Mitchell? Definitely yes. Definitely yes. Uh, it took us some time to to basically to identify what we need long term for the success yeah and uh, who who should be a person who will come in this position as a sporting director and when I met Paul for the first time, he impressed me he impressed me as a person and as a professional, and both areas and qualities are very important as a professional, he is a modern a modern uh, well, I would say football executive, which has a very good, deep technical understanding of the game. And amazing how he can actually, well, he was a player in England and uh, well, had a 
good experience in Southampton Tottenham, later in Red Bull. Played as a young as a young man, so good good understanding of football. Well, how to say practical aspects, and also very modern in terms of uh, in terms of uh, feeling where the game is going to. Very much on data, very much focused on data, deep data, advanced, and I would say a lot of analysis, a lot of well and athletic. Basically, from him, I heard for the first time the requirements of how to say athletic skills and that's where the football is moving to yeah. like being the athlete like first and being like the footballer second and uh, young of course things are getting i mean uh, the game is getting younger is getting more intense is becoming more diverse diverse in terms of talent culture and uh, well and also of course personal qualities of paul uh, like he's a humble man smart and intelligent so for me it was very clear he was a right man for the job. It took it took time and some effort actually to to make him join us. He was successful at his previous club, a valuable asset as well. He believed in the project. He believed he believed in that in the ambition. So I think that for him it was not a, most likely the biggest dream in the world to come and live in Monaco. But I think he believed in the group success. He believed that the Monaco should be brought back to the spotlight. I mean, successful club maybe with more uh, more bigger ambitious plans of course championships and uh, a lot of ambitious ideas and that's what in the end made him make up his mind in our favor what did he do oleg when you met him and he presented to you that other candidates didn't do so he he was coming from red bull he was coming from red bull which uh, by which by itself is a club who is a very modern club today which plays the football which we like uh yeah very much analytical not just old school one club and okay we are either we win or we lose and so we saw that there is a there is a strategy behind this there is a big there is a he's a builder in a way so he was part of the he is able to build this is a big uh, how to say big picture or a big structure so something which is not just about winning uh, the chair i mean the championship or coming to the top positions of the league and that's what we that's what we were looking for so i sense and felt that he is the one who can come and build up the foundation for long-term success and he was able to manage this uh, strong enough to manage people um, and also modernity element ability to to see the trends to see the trends of, of football tomorrow, not just performing at the current level, or it's not just about bringing the best talent or people who can now players who can come and perform immediately. So beyond recruitment, I saw overall a set of qualities uh, for, well, let's say, for strategic uh, for strategic uh, solutions. Uh, and for us, strategic solution is build a club who will perform at the top for many many years, and maybe other clubs who will. Who will yeah who will do the same and from that perspective he really convinced me were you at all concerned that this would be his first ever post as sporting director because there is a distinct difference between head of recruitment who's very much focused on player identification obviously he held the role of international development with red bull uh, immediately before he joined monaco but being sporting director gives him obviously much greater responsibility for a major club than he'd ever had before it was not a concern it was not a concern to me because i i think that i saw i saw his qualities and uh, and then he's doing this yeah he's doing this very successfully yeah you're right you're right that the sporting director has by far <coughs> broader area of of responsibility and currently, well, Paul is covering all sportive life of our club, and that's managing the well, the teams and the medical medical areas and everything, everything basically. And uh, well, uh, leading the club, I mean, to the future. Well, I saw that Paul was was also instrumental in Red Bull for for several elements, uh, just beyond being the head of recruitment. So for me, it was not a concern. Sure. 
Paul comes in. Nico Kovac comes in as well, much to the surprise. I have to say, Oleg, since you've joined Monaco, you're very good for surprises. <laughs> uh, good ones at that as well. Um, Nico Kovac comes in and obviously Robert Moreno goes out. Was this very much a desire to really change the guard and give Paul full lease of life to do what he wanted to on the manager's side? Was it really kind of marking an area more than Robert had necessarily done a bad job? Because sure, uh, results were mixed, but ultimately was early in his career. And, and, and there were signs that Monaco were getting closer to the stated ambition of European football again under Robert. Well, Robert, of course, Robert did a Robert did a good job, and we, if that's coming back to the surprises and unpredictability of football, if we didn't lose our last game with Nice, yeah. in in the last how to say second of the additional time, most likely we would be in the European Championships now. So yeah. Robert did a good job for the club. Well, when Paul came, he didn't come with this uh, idea to change Robert. So he came uh, he came to build the club and uh, see what is necessary. And uh, his idea to, to bring Nico was basically to bring a, a coach who would, how to say, who would uh, be more in line with what Paul believes uh, the, club, the club is about and the club needs. So the style of the play, uh, management, uh, management specifics and the qualities because Nico, Robert was good, but Nico is a coach with a lot of experience, more experience with the first team in Germany and the German clubs and Croatian clubs, a player himself. So he is, as a leader, he is very strong, very charismatic with the players, uh, managing the players. Uh, you see that's when he talks, the way players behave is outstanding. And uh, Monaco at the time was the club which required the change, which was which was at the start of the championship, and uh, putting solid foundation immediately for proper steps up, I think, was important. And they are all convinced, convinced us that that's that was the right thing to do. And uh, yeah, Nico has its own style, very intensive attacking football, yeah. results driven. Less, I would say, ball possession. What we have, what we had with Robert, yeah. and uh, well, his own specific uh, style, which reflects his personality. Always on the attack, intensive, very athletic, very athletic as well. Quick transitions, and uh, Paul believes uh, believe that that's exactly the coach which fits into Monaco DNK at the current stage. Nico has very quickly brought in a very exciting playing style. Monaco and Brest, are, and maybe Lens as well this season, are by far the best teams to watch. Was this you know, something that you and Paul had identified even before you hired Nico in terms of we do want a style that goes more towards what you were talking about 10 minutes ago, something that focuses on the athlete, focuses on the playing style that is most successful at the moment at the top of European football. As you say, less ball possession, quicker in transition, more physical and more intense. Yes, exactly. Exactly this is the case. When Paul came and uh, when Nico came especially, so the element of physical uh, preparation became very critical. So the goal was to the Monaco, well, the team did the analysis and uh, identified that the physical and athletic elements have to significantly improve. So yeah. the goal is to become the most successful uh, athletic team in the in the league, and then they started implementing the the changes. And indeed, indeed, that was Nico's philosophy and Paul's philosophy. To be successful in today's game, you have to really be very, very, very extremely fast, extremely aggressive running yeah with quick transitions maybe quicker to the goal in a way um, so it exactly reflected uh, reflected our how uh, to say our vision and also well i can i can add that beyond nico also we have uh, some other important elements of our team like uh, james boons who also came from from england from us but yeah the english gentleman who also as a manager, as an analyst, as a very 
Schrud's uh, professional also contributed a lot to this athletic new angle in Monaco and also basically building up a very strong athletic team. It must be a real source of, sort of short-term satisfaction when you decide this is the outlook that you want to take this summer and then last weekend you see your team run overall around 10 kilometers more than Paris Saint-Germain in a fantastic victory. Yeah, definitely yes, definitely yes. Uh, it was uh, it was a, remar- a remarkable success in general in the game and also as a physical as a physical contrib- contribution to this success. It was critical and uh, well, we follow physically the performance of the team every game and we see that we usually outdo the competition and uh, not everything was ideal during these first eleven games. But in many games, we just did better as a how to say, as a physical team, yeah. as a physical team. So it was indeed very important. Uh, and for me, it was for sure a big surprise in a way that even we outdid PSG in this uh, specific, uh, specific uh, feature. And uh, well, we, we work more in this area. We want to use even more analysis, uh, even more data. And we are launching, uh, well, as you may know, we are delivering the Performance Center uh, mm-hmm. next year in 2021 with a lot of new technical facilities. It's a significant investment uh, done by our president, Dmitry Rybolovlev, and uh, that will contribute even more to, the, to this aspect of our team. It's funny, right? Because I think in Aurelien Chouameni and, and Yusuf Fofana, you have probably the most exciting young French midfield partnership that I've seen in Ligue 1 for maybe four or five years. I really mean that. But then when it came to it last weekend, it was someone at the end of his career who wasn't the, probably the most athletic or physical player on the pitch in Cesc Fabregas, who, who made a big difference. Yes, you're right. Uh, you're right. It was, a, it was an interesting game indeed. Uh, well, and that's, I think, why people love football so much. So Cesc... Sesk is a very intelligent, clever, smart player with a lot of ambition and uh, a lot of leadership qualities. And it's uh, really amazing how he made his entry last game. It's not the first time, though, of course, it's the first time of, the, of this caliber of a game. Yeah. But he, his entry several times did a, a good change to the game. He, as, yeah, as it was rightly said, in the last week, he may be not the fastest runner, but he's still one of the fastest thinkers in the team. So he's, he, was very, he was very good in this. And yeah, the young boys, the young boys which you mentioned, uh, whom you mentioned, Fofana and Chemeni, are the recruits of the last year. And they're teen, basically, I think 19 years and 20 years old. And uh, yeah. indeed, uh, last year we had more experienced midfielders. And uh, with, yeah, with some of them, have been by far better known and renowned in the world. And it's amazing how this year the young boys are doing a very good job, not being second to those uh, very, very, very famous players. And I think the mixture in the team of young players and uh, like Fofana Chomeni, Benoit Badiashili, Axel Disassi, and players like Sesk or Wissam Benader or Kevin Wooland, I think this mixture is making a, indeed a remarkable, remarkable mix and successful team. In many ways, or like I look at the squad now compared to 16, 17, and in terms of makeup, that mixture of experience and youth, there are a lot of comparisons that you can make. I think Monica were defined in the 2010s by the Lewis Campos-led strategy of signing talent at a value that rest of Europe's elite didn't necessarily see, giving them ample opportunity under Leonardo Hardim and then selling them on for a considerable value. But I think it's also perceived that eventually that strategy maybe even went too far to the point that the club was spending an enormous amount of money on young players every year and being more and more risky with their investments to the point that a Pietro Pellegri or, or Willem Goebbels, who cost around 40 million euros all said and done together, unfortunately, owing to fitness concerns, haven't actually played yet. I guess my question is, Oleg, what next? You have a real opportunity here now to redefine the Monaco way. 
the second wave of a clear strategy going forward. Is this player trading model of bringing in young players and then selling them on to Europe's elite still going to be a pillar of the strategy going forward? And if so, what tweaks are you making to that so that the club doesn't have another two years of terrible instability like it had really just before you arrived and, and uh, as you have been kind of sorting out in the last year? Yeah, Christian. So I think that's, uh, I think that's what happened in the, after Monaco got the championship and uh, in 2018 and early 19 when uh, things started uh, getting, getting worse. All this prompted our president uh, to th rethink the strategy and uh, resharpen his, uh, his views. Of course, trading will remain as one of the pillars, but uh, the major thing which we put in the corner of our, how to say, in the central pillar of our thinking is to, to, deliver, to deliver the sporting success um, in terms of being really playing at the top of the French championship and at the highest level of European championships with the means which we have and being successful should lead to basically to make a smart training of our players as, as a consequence. So saying that, okay, now we will have to raise five, six talented players and then we will start telling them when uh, the time comes, we, do, we don't do it, I would say, we don't say this right now. Right now we say, okay, we need to build up the club and build up the club who will steadily without drops on a regular basis every year perform at the highest level at France and at the highest level in Europe. And uh, then as the reason of this good performance, we will have all our players or the best talents of our team valued and then smartly we will trade them. We will do the, how to say, tra transaction with those players. So performance is becoming the key element and trading is the consequence of this performance. We also believe that in, mo in modern day, today, to be a successful club, you need to have a success. And uh, this is also what's important for the president. Not just a record sale or record numbers in terms of trading, but performer with good players to, to develop and sell, that's, that becomes the strategy. And uh, well, that's why we basically, that's why all these things with Paul and the new approach and data is coming. So we need to build, we need to build the club who will be non-dependable on, uh, yeah. let's say, on stars, whether, whether these are starting players or starting sportive directors, and we discuss it openly. So we want to lay the foundation and build a structure who will stay, who will stay for years and keep producing great sportive results. It's funny, Oleg, the strategy that you're describing there to me reminds me of a recent quote from Marseille manager Andre Villas-Boas, who said when talking about FC Porto that the clubs who achieve the most successful sort of player trading strategy are the clubs that don't directly make that their core priority. Because if you do it like that and you focus on producing quality talent, whether that's buying it young and, and developing it or through the Greater Youth Academy that Monaco famously has over the last 10 years and beyond, then actually when you get to a transfer window, as you say, you're not dependent and you really can then say, well, this is a great player in his own right. And I wasn't really ever actually looking to sell him specifically as part of the strategy. So it also ends up making the club more money because you come from a position of strength rather than having an identity on the European scene of one of, oh, you know, this is a, essentially a farm where we take good crops. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is the case. Exactly. This is the case. Uh, you cannot be weakened by this. Yeah, by having one star striker or a star central defender. And uh, yeah, these days, if you drop and volatility is bad, volatility is bad for the club, for the players, you cannot, stability, stability of performance at a good level, that's what I think you need today to convince the good players, good talent to stay, yeah. to convince uh, the fan base, you cannot drop from uh, 
second position to 10th position every year. It can happen maybe once in a while in a life cycle, but these days you need to perform. A club needs to perform. Absolutely. I want to ask you a couple of quick ones, Oli, before we move on to kind of French football in general and your outlook on it and what needs to be done to make the product that we love and engaged in better. I want to talk about Wissem Ben Yedda because that transfer last year already I thought was an absolute revelation when he pulled it off and really is proving to have been such an incredible investment. How did you convince that player when he was essentially at the peak of his career and I think has now surpassed that peak at Monaco to move to a club uh, that had the instability that Monaco was still dealing with? Well, uh, it, it, was a hard, it was a hard work, I would say. It was a hard work in a way. Uh, it was a belief. It was a belief. Uh, I, well, I have to give uh, the credit to his ancient as well, who, did, uh, who listened to me. We may have had several meetings. I had several meetings with him, and I spent a lot of time explained, explaining that we, we, will, we will work very hard to, to come back quickly to the how to say, to the best positions. And uh, I explained about our goals, about what we do, what I'm trying to do, about the ambitions of the president. And basically, and then he believed. And his major question was exactly, uh, is the one which we exactly put forward, exactly, it's not about money, it was not about moving to Monaco, exactly, it was basically whether Monaco will be up to the qualities, up to the ambitions, or we some, he wants to be in the Champions League. And I said, yes. We will be there. Believe me, we will be there. Let's give us a chance. Let's work together. So Wissam was, he's a, very, he's a very strong character, very special player, very focused, very determined. I'm very happy. But it was, it, was, it was trust in the end which brought him to us. Yeah, and actually the move, I think, has worked very, very well for him as well because Didier Deschamps likes to pick players out of Ligue 1 where he possibly can. And I think in, in many ways being the key uh, forward for Monaco versus being rotated out of Sevilla has given him the best possible chance of making the Euro 2021 squad. So congratulations on that deal. Are there a couple of players who you've taken a particular liking to? You mentioned that as a leadership style, you like to have that human contact. You like to be speaking and dealing with everybody at all levels of the ecosystem. There are a couple of players that you've taken a particular liking to, notably outside the professional realm. What is your kind of general approach with the playing squad? Well, these days I'm not uh, so much directly involved uh, with the communication with the players, which was not the case when I arrived. Now yeah. with Paul in the front line and Nico in the front line, I'm in the front line. I am more at the back seat. Uh, of course, I go to every game, and uh, of course, I very often look at the training sessions myself. Uh, not dealing so much with the players, but sometimes, to, from time to time, I do. I can only remark on the yeah some exceptional qualities of our players, like Wissam Benider, which we discussed, and the young player Axel Disasi, who came this summertime to yeah. us from France, who became a captain as well in his uh, in his young age, a real leader, strong character. To whom I, I talked, and uh, especially last year, quite a lot. Um, a young talent uh, who studied in Monaco, not always played before. And uh, I, all of us believe that uh, he is the player which we need and he will make a big, through, a big breakthrough, which he did. So, yeah, mostly managing, uh, uh, not dealing directly these days. But mm. we, have, we have good players. We have good players and... Uh, I wouldn't say there is uh, ones whom I like to deal with, mostly, mostly relying this job to, to my colleagues. For sure. But no, but yes, Chile is an interesting one in that I think he was probably the cause of much conversation for board discussions at Monaco this summer. It felt very much to me like a, like a referendum on the strategy in terms of this was a play that probably could have been bankable, probably could have been sellable this summer. It was someone that Nico came out quite publicly quite early on in his tenure to say, I want him to stay. And now he's persisting with an incredibly young back two that is, you know, really learning and growing up right in front of us. Just tell me a little bit about those dynamics and, and kind of the career path that you guys are seeing for Benoit. Yes, of course, Christian. Uh, 
it was indeed Nico, he, he was bankable indeed and uh, well given complexity of the summertime and COVID and all these financial problems which all of us came through. Yeah. Selling a player at a good valuation would never hurt, would never hurt, uh, well, uh, the financial books of the club, of course. But then it was Nico, Nico's specific position that this, this player should stay. He's a great talent, he will perform and well one day. Maybe, well, he can have by far, by far a bit of career in, a, in a one of the best clubs and uh, strongly insisted on this and Paul, of course, uh, was at the same position. So, okay, we left Benoit to, play, to stay and play. So he's now playing together with Axel, two of them mostly start all the games, two yeah. central defenders. Very solid, very young, playing from 18 years uh, for the first team in Monaco. Uh, also playing in uh, in a, a sport team of, of France. Very good technically, very humble, uh, very fast. Very fast gives a lot of comforts when he plays, and uh, but still very young. So for a player of his age, playing all the games as the starter, so that's a huge, uh, huge uh, opportunity for him to develop into a really great, great player of the highest caliber. He plays, he he learns, he develops. He is a very hard worker, so we are very proud to have him. Sure. I want to switch gears a little bit into kind of internationalization and talk about what your intended strategy to internationalize Monaco as a club and a brand is. I think there was a lot of perhaps accidental, but then capitalized upon internationalization of the club during the 2016-17 era in that it coincided with a new generation of football fan who internationally now will maybe not watch a game or go to a game but will open up YouTube the following day to look at the skills of a Tomo Lomao or a Bernardo Silva and see what they did on the weekend. And, and that, as a result, really grew Monaco's prominence in terms of a new generation of football fan. I'm keen to understand what your strategy to kind of grow the Monaco brand going forward is and, and give you the opportunity to talk about any innovations that you're working on, notably, obviously, in this difficult economic context. Well, we... We do, we do rely a lot on our international name, which we want to take to a further to a further stage of developments. We have been the international club always, so we are famous. We are known for many talents like Mbappe, uh, Henry Henry Trezeguet. So we are we are a very popular club uh, beyond uh, beyond France and also you know, in other in different parts of the world, but. Uh, but we still believe that uh, it can be taken to a new level. Uh, well, within our team, within our team, we have well, we re reinforced a lot uh, our marketing team and digital team. We rightly, you rightly say that the landscape is changing. That's the also the supporters are becoming the young generation less uh, how to say less time tolerant. Want fast, quick actions. Want to see many, many episodes, elements of private life of players. We believe that we, we are doing well in this area. Not everything what we want have been achieved, but we are laying a solid foundation. So we have a new marketing team. We have a new marketing manager since January. Marcus came from Liverpool. We have, well, digital team, which is very dedicated. Well, we expanded actually this branch significantly in the last couple of months launching more and more content on different uh, social platforms. So we're becoming very active. We're considering the entire relaunch of the brands, which has been an, in preparation and which should go in line with our sportive success. And this is something which is, how to say, make, make us wait to, to bring all things together. We believe that we will be one of the most leading clubs in France in, in innovation, well, beyond data analysis, which I mentioned to you, which we think that we are doing very innovatively now. Yeah. One, of the, one of the innovations which we had this year when uh, this coronavirus problem has started, we came with the, with the idea of a health passport. So it was basically a concept which with some, with some IT solution, which basically 
would prevent the players and supporters from getting infected. We propose this in the league, and uh, that idea has been entertained to be implemented. So we always put our heads together to see how we can lead. We do want to lead in the digital domain in France. It must have been quite a strange 18 months, Oleg, in terms of understanding and getting to know and trying to get all the French particularities around how French football is governed and run by the LFP. There's been a lot of instability and you know, certain individuals, I think, fairly now look at the ongoing broadcasting crisis that French football is facing and lay that blame at the feet of the former heads of the LFP. But what I want to focus really on is, with all that in mind, what are the greatest challenges facing French football in terms of its future growth potential? Well, I think, that's, uh, I think that the biggest challenge and the biggest goals, maybe long term, uh, is to make uh, French talent excel in France. Chair yeah. France is a, a bed, a hotbed of, of talent, as I heard, together with Brazil, like one of the best producers of football talent in the world. Yeah. And of course, I heard, well, obviously many, many players dream of coming to Premier League in England or Bundesliga, and uh, they find their new home and perform in foreign countries. I think that's the biggest goal would be to make big French talent stay, perform and bring the French, French clubs to the top of European competitions. In this case, there is talent to play with. Still many elements are missing, and this is exactly the challenge which the league should overcome. So the league should, well, the league should manage the business as the business, be very direct, active, how to say, straight, take the best examples of what are around, whether this is England or Germany, and may uh, well to get rid of, of elements and levels which does not allow the league to, to manage the top performers. And uh, I think that there is, uh, there is uh, a new management, as you know, and I think that there is a good trend to see the future, to, to make the changes, so uh, right reforms. I do want to believe that the league will manage to cope with this and come to a new stage when it is, the structure is more simple, more clear, well, more directly influencing the, the best performing teams. And uh, that the challenge, of course, what is happening in the TV with the TV rights and revenues, uh, well, Another problem, and uh, French football deserves bigger visibility, better international presence. It does deserve to be, to be well-known around the world, and it's missing today. And it all goes structure, structurally together. The way the league manages, the way the league presents itself uh, internationally, the way the league keeps the best talent in France, all this is a big work which requires still a lot of fixing, basically. For sure. Yeah, you picked up on so many interesting different things there. Yes, gosh, where to begin with all that? I think <laughs> so many different things to pick up on. I guess the first thing, Oleg, is does part of making the LFP more simple, making the governance structure more simple, include Ligan going down to 18 clubs? Is that something that you would be in favor of? Not easy for me to answer this question. Of course, I was... Uh asked this question before yeah it's a very political subject uh, very political subject i answered it before that well whatever leads uh, the league to be more success internationally is a good thing to have yeah from the other side i know the sensitivity of this and uh, the 20 clubs which are there and the way they the way they look at this uh, so I said that I will need a bit of time. I'm also the member of the board of the league as well yeah. and got a lot of support, I would say. 19 votes out of 20 from the French clubs, so basically almost unanimous support for me. I have to really, how to say, be 100% sure before I say my vote. I said that I will need a little bit of time to express my opinion about this. Yeah, for sure, very sensible. And I guess closing now, 
we've seen a lot of in media infighting between club presidents this year. It's been pretty ugly, actually, especially around the COVID-19 context. And, and there has been a lot more back and forth. It seems to me that part of Vincent Laboune's mandate as the new LFP president has been to tell presidents, actually, you know, let's, let's keep those discussions internal. But in the interest of fostering a sense of kind of better, better feeling among all presidents, uh, at the moment in each episode, I'm asking a president to tell me what they admire about another different president. And the one I picked for you is, is Lyon President Jean-Michel Aulas, who obviously has been in his role for decades, has built a club that in many ways has achieved certain elements of success that I think Monaco is also looking to do, kind of build a structure that holistically stands on its own two feet, has also built the number one team in women's football in the world. What do you think of Jean-Michel Aulas and, and what do you admire about him? Well, for sure, Jean-Michel Aulas is a great president. And uh, he did have outstanding successes. What he did for Lyon and football club is really uh, remarkable. So he's, uh, well, he's the president of Olympique Lyonnais since uh, 1987. And uh, his club won seven League One titles between 2002 and 2008. He is an extremely dedicated person who, who did build the club. And this is something which I, I admire. I've been to the stadium. It was... A difficult game for us, but I, I saw the quality. I saw the quality of his team, the way we have been received. Yeah. It, was, it is a top professional club, which gives a lot of credit and respect to Mr. Olas. And, uh, well, of course, beyond, uh, beyond Mr. Olas, we have other great presidents as well. But if you ask me about him, he did a great job for the club. Thanks for humoring me on that one, Oleg. And finally, what words of advice would you have for young people who want to get into the business side of football rather than the playing side? Well, I would, I would advise them uh, to be prepared for a very hard work, a very hard work, to be a hard worker, to be humble, not to wait a quick success. It's a very, very serious job to have. That would be my advice. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, I'd add to that, make sure you learn some languages. You can't get by with just one language, as Oleg has so definitely proved today with, uh, with, with his wonderful English. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, definitely, yes. Uh, they, well, they either should know or they should be able to learn. <laughs> like, for instance, I'm learning French, actually, since, since last spring. And uh, without this, it's impossible to succeed in a French league. So the young men should really be able to learn in general. And language is one of the elements as well. Absolutely. And also, I think, as Oleg said, you know, more and more, not only is there interest from everyone to the match day going fan to the investment banking analyst, but all types of different backgrounds can serve you well in the ecosystem of football, whether that's law, um, finance, maths, marketing, etc. What's important is that you excel at that. And, and I think you have to be ambitious and, and also uh, gutsy as well. Um, because there is a lot of competition in terms of standing out from the crowd. Well, hundred percent. It's amazing. Uh, I see it. It's amazing how a football club can accommodate a lot of talents from all professions. You're right. Marketing uh, is unbelievable. Very strong, uh, without doubt. And uh, finances and uh, a lot of areas. And even well, data and scouting and uh, everything. Everything all put together. Oleg, is there anything you want to leave uh, the audience with? today, any stated aim for Monaco, anything that you want to leave out there as we wrap up this episode of the President's Podcast? Well, I would like to, well, I want the football still to continue being this game of passion, which never change, which to bring crowds together as it is today. And of course, I want French football to, to stand out in the global football map. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we want as well. So what a wonderful note to end on. Oleg, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, first of all, I would like to thank our funds uh, for support, for always being with us. And uh, yeah, we as a club, we're also very loyal to our fans and we are doing our best to make sure that we excel to the expectation. From the other side these days, it's indeed a very unusual environment with the COVID and uh, and this uh, pandemic, 
we're doing our best to make sure that we perform and the team performs and nobody gets gets uh, injured or infected uh, in the meantime. Excellent stuff. And uh, to everybody listening at home, please continue to follow your local and national government's latest guidelines concerning COVID-19. Enjoy the football, but on your screen at home, no peeping uh, over, you know, the stadium walls at your club, uh, <laughs> as well as the Stade Louis II. 